All right, let's continue the, the journey that we've been on. If you want to go in your Bibles, the best place to start would be, I'm going, I'm going to read one verse or a couple of verses maybe from John chapter 10, and then I will be jumping to Ezekiel 34 after that and reading a few verses from Ezekiel 34. So let me just give you a quick recap in the background of, of the journey we've been on so far. Um, we're, we're using the title here for this series, Who Do I Say That I Am? So Jesus asks the disciples in Mark chapter 8, who do people say that I am? And then he drives in a wee bit closer with them and he says, who do you say that I am? And our title for this is, who do I say that I am? And the, the point is, we are taking the things that Jesus actually said about himself and using those as our, as our sort of structure for these few weeks that we're doing this together. Who do I say that I am? What does Jesus say about himself? We want to, want to paint for you hopefully an accurate description or portrayal of who Jesus is. And what he says about himself, most of this is found in, in John's gospel in what's called the I am sayings of Jesus. Uh, in the Old Testament, the phrase I am is the Hebrew word Yahweh, and it is the way that God revealed his character over and over again to his people. Beginning at the burning bush in Exodus 3 with Moses, he declared his name to Moses. And then as, the, as he journeys with the people in the wilderness, he reveals more and more of his character as their provider, their healer, their peace and so on. And Jesus then picks up on this in the New Testament, particularly in John, and he declares things about himself and his character. So in the first week, we saw Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. Now, the people were waiting for bread to come down from heaven when the Messiah came, and he says to them, I'm not just bringing bread down. He says, I am the bread. And in last week's message, we were at the Feast of Tabernacles and in the background, the, the nights were getting darker and there was a light ceremony where candles were lit in the temple. And against that background, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I haven't just come to give you light. I actually am the light. And today in John chapter 10, we're at a feast called the Feast of Dedication. Jewish people refer to it as Hanukkah. It happens around about the same time as Christmas. Um, and John chapter 10, just to give you that, that little note uh, in verse 22, then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem and it was winter. So that, that's the background of the action that's taking place in John 10. And the verse that we're going to linger on once we get into things a bit is verse 11 of John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So that's the, the declaration of Jesus that we're, we're going to be thinking on today. But let me pitch a bit of background, because just like last week with the Feast of Tabernacles, and just like the week before with the Feast of Passover, if you know a little bit about the feast that's in the background, then you will understand much more clearly what it is that Jesus is actually saying about himself, who he says that he is. So we're in a time period here between the Feast of Tabernacles, somewhere 
either late on in the Feast of Tabernacles or just after it and before the Feast of Dedication. There's a very short period in between the two feasts. We're somewhere in there. We don't know exactly where. This feast is not in the Old Testament, the Feast of Dedication. Um, it, is, it came about during a period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's about a 400-year period in there. And during that period, um, the prophets were silent. God was not speaking through them. And one of the kingdoms or one of the nations that was starting to exert a lot of power and influence were the Greeks, um, such as Alexander the Great, who wasn't actually so great because he drank himself to death in his early 30s. Um, But whenever his kingdom fell apart, another leader picked up part of his kingdom, and this leader was called Antiochus. Now, this is going to, for the next couple of minutes, going to seem a bit like a history lesson, but you've got to stay online and, and focused if you're going to understand what Jesus is up to. This guy, his full name was Antiochus Epiphanes. And what that name means is the manifestation of God. So this fella had a little bit of a of a, of a sort of power trip going on. He was devoted to Greek culture and his whole mission in life was to make the whole world Greek. That's what he wanted to do. So he was really ticked off with these Jewish people who declared that there was a God, Yahweh, who was to be worshipped and he alone was to be worshipped and they would not honour Antiochus as being the manifestation of God. So he tries to wipe them out. Obviously, that's something the Jews have had to put up with many times during their history. And in about 170 BC, Antiochus comes and he attacks Jerusalem to begin wiping out the Jews. He murdered 80,000 of them. He plundered the temple treasury. He turned the priests' offices into different types of rooms that we'll not talk about on a Sunday morning. If you had a copy of the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, what we refer to as the Old Testament, if you had a copy of that, that was a capital offense and you were put to death. He outlawed the observation of the Sabbath day, one day a week. He just tried to completely wipe out everything to do do with the Jewish culture and the Jewish religion. In the temple, he put an altar to Zeus, which was one of the Greek gods, and his his sort of greatest trick, his most offensive thing that he did was on that altar, he offered a pig, the blood of swine on the altar in the temple of Jerusalem, which to the Jews was just offense on on a massive scale. And during that time, there were priests in the temple of Jerusalem. And here's where we're starting to, to cut into what's important for today. There were priests in the temple and there were leaders of the Jewish people who abandoned the people. They did not protect the people from Antiochus. They did not protect the temple from the things that he was doing. In fact, a couple of them called Jason and Menelaus actually helped Antiochus to set up all the offensive things that he did in the temple. And they abandoned the flock of God's people. The people of God are frequently referred to as sheep and God as a shepherd. And these leaders were also meant to be shepherds of the flock. 
And at this time in history, when Antiochus was forcing Greek culture on the world and trying to wipe out the Jews, the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of the people, dropped the ball, abandoned the people, and allowed this guy to trample all over them. Now, an absolute legend called Judas Maccabees then took on Antiochus. Him, you know, Judas and his brothers and a small army fought several battles against Antiochus and eventually defeated him in a tremendous underdog victory. And whenever they defeated him, they then cleaned up the temple and they rededicated the temple to God. And that is when this feast that's mentioned in John 10 started. The feast of dedication was a time when the Jewish people would look back and remember when Antiochus Epiphanes came and tried to wipe them out. They'll remember the great victory won by Judas Maccabees and his brothers and his army. And they will think about the bad leadership that they had at that time. They will sit down and they'll ask some hard questions about why the shepherds of Israel had failed them. And they will look forward to a time when God himself would come and shepherd his people. Now you've got to see this theme throughout the feasts. Back in the feast of Passover, they looked back to the time when the manna came in the wilderness, the bread from heaven. And when the Red Sea was parted and against that background where they were waiting for God once again to bring bread, Jesus said, I'm the bread. And against the background of tabernacles, when the lights are lit and they think back to when a pillar of fire led them and protected them in the wilderness, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. You've been waiting for God to give you light again. I am the light of the world. And in this context, they are thinking back to bad shepherds, bad shepherds. They're thinking back to leadership that abandoned them and left them in their time of need. And one of the scriptures that they will read at this time is Ezekiel 34. Now, it's worth going to. I'm just going to read a few verses out of it again so you can just grasp the background of of where we're at. And then we're going to start to focus the lens in a little bit more on Jesus. Ezekiel 34 verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, 
but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds, and I will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. Now listen, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. Verse 15, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. Verse 23, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. So God is saying to the shepherds of Israel that they have failed to look after the flock and that he is actually against them. He is opposed to them. And he promises a time is coming in the future that I'm going to come myself I'm going to look for my sheep and I'm going to shepherd them the way they should be shepherded. That's all in the background of John 10. That's the chapter that's being read in the synagogue and discussed in the town squares by the rabbis with their disciples. That's the chapter that's being read in homes over dinner at the Feast of Dedication. They're thinking back to this time of bad leadership, bad shepherds who took advantage of the flock and did not look after them. Shepherding is a model for leadership throughout the Bible. Uh, The two greatest leaders that God's people ever had were Moses and David. Now, Moses was raised in Egypt. He had all the money you could imagine. He had all the food and all the luxury and the best education probably that could have been had in those days anywhere in the world. And in 40 years living in Egypt, Moses, at the end of that 40 years, was not a leader. He tried to lead, but failed very, very badly. And he then spent the next 40 years of his life in the backside of the wilderness looking after sheep. And at the end of that 40 years, he was a leader and he was called by God. David was also one who learned leadership among the sheep and never forgot it. As a boy, he protected the sheep and looked after them And as a king, it says in Psalm 78 in the last verse that he shepherded Israel with integrity of heart. This picture of shepherd leadership is throughout the Bible. And these shepherd leaders also had authority. When you read the story of Moses, when the Red Sea parted and whenever the Nile turned to blood and lots of other plagues, one factor that was common in all of those was Moses' staff. That was not just a stick for him to lean on. That was the staff of a shepherd. And when Moses held out that staff and used the authority that God gives to shepherds, things happened. Whenever David came against Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, Goliath said to David, Do you come after me with a stick? Because in his hand, David had a stick, but it wasn't any old stick. It was the staff of a shepherd. And it was a sign of the authority that God gives to leaders who are modeled after shepherds. Goliath did not fall just because David was skilled with a sling. Goliath fell because God honored the shepherd leader and was declaring to his people, this is the one and this is the type of person who will lead you.
Sheep are mentioned in the Bible more than any other animal. Now you get a mention of cattle about 131 times. Dogs, God bless them, thank you Lord. 41 times dogs are mentioned in the Bible. Eagles are mentioned apparently 26 times. Um, Cats, zero. No domestic cats in the Bible, just putting that out there because I know it will encourage some of you. But sheep are mentioned over 500 times. And what that tells us is not that we're stupid. Sheep can be a bit stupid and human beings can be a bit stupid as well. But whenever God refers to his people as sheep, he's not degrading us. What he's saying is he's telling us a little bit about our condition as human beings, our propensity to get lost, our weakness and our vulnerability, the fact that we are hunted by wolves. He's saying something about the condition of the human heart by comparing us to sheep who cannot survive in the wild. And he's also telling us about the relationship that God wants to have with his people, about how he cares for his people. That's why we are referred to as sheep. What is the role of a shepherd? Shepherd had to feed the sheep, protect the sheep, bind up the wounds of those that had become injured. He had to guide the sheep. He had to seek the lost sheep, the ones that had had become separated from the flock and were then more vulnerable. He had to go and find them and bring them back to the flock. And it took a skilled and committed shepherd to find food and water in the harsh conditions that, that the Middle East would have had. It took a skilled shepherd to effectively, for the sheep, prepare a table in the wilderness where they could eat in the presence of their enemies. Surrounded by dangerous animals that would rip the sheep to bits, the shepherd had to lead them and find pasture and find still water and find uh, food so that they could eat in the presence of their enemies and lie down in safety. And this feast of dedication remembers the bad shepherds and looks forward to God shepherding his people. And we not only have the bad shepherds of Ezekiel 34 and the bad shepherds of that time period, whenever um, Jason and Menelaus and some of the other religious leaders abandoned the people, there are other bad shepherds in the background in John. Because if you read in context, John 10, believe it or not, comes after John 9. And there is no break in the conversation. At the end of John 9, look at who Jesus is speaking to. Verse 40. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, Are we blind as well? Jesus has just healed a blind man. The light of the world has just brought light into the darkness of the eyes of this blind man. And the Pharisees respond in John chapter 9 by interrogating the guy, interrogating his parents, interrogating him again, and then throwing him out of the synagogue. That's what they do with him. And it's interesting to note that in Zechariah eleven seventeen, God says that blindness is the result for shepherds who abandon the flock. The Pharisees were meant to be the shepherds of Israel. They were the leaders. They were meant to protect the people and look after them. How did they do? How did they do in John chapter 8 when a woman was caught in the act of adultery? How did the Pharisees do 
when it came to shepherding that woman, they wanted to stone her. They wanted to use her to get at Jesus. How did the Pharisees do in John chapter 9 when a man was healed from blindness and everyone should have been celebrating? They got really annoyed that Jesus did it on the Sabbath and they threw the guy out. How are they doing as the shepherds of God's flock? They're not doing very well. In John chapter 10 and verse 1, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. He's talking to the Pharisees. Now, other Jews are listening as well. There's a wider crowd, but he's having a conversation with the Pharisees in front of these other Jews. He's leading on from John 9. He says, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. Anyone who comes in and tries to shepherd the sheep without going through the gate is a thief. Who is the thief? Look at, look at chapter 10 and verse 10. Here's a familiar verse. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Who's the thief? Now, I'm going to just put you outside of the box here and you're thinking for a minute. We think and we say and we pray along the lines that the thief is the devil. We talk about this thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. And yes, in the background, the devil is there. But the thief, I believe, is religion. The thieves are the Pharisees that Jesus has to deal with the whole way through his ministry. They're the ones who have come to steal and kill and destroy. Over and over again, they're the ones who are stealing people's joy. They're the ones who are threatening to kill people and to kill Jesus. They have come to steal, kill, and destroy because that's what religion without Jesus does to people. Religion without the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, that's what it does to people. The thief that's come to steal and kill and destroy is religion. And behind it, yes, lies a devil. Revelation 13 tells us to be aware of the fact that there is a beast. The beast looks like a lamb. But when he opens his mouth, his voice is like a dragon. And when he speaks... He gives away what's in his heart and who he actually is. So we've got the bad shepherds of Ezekiel 34. We've got the bad shepherds of the the, the in-between-the-testaments period. The guys that abandoned those who they were meant to lead. We've got the bad shepherds of the Pharisees foisting religion on people. And Jesus says in John 10 verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Now, what he has said there is exceptionally powerful. It's not just a cute little image of of Jesus, a sort of nice old man cuddling a little lamb. That is not what we're talking about. This is a bold and powerful declaration at the feast or just before the feast of dedication in front of a bunch of bad shepherds who are once again failing to lead the flock well, uh, people who are looking forward to the time when God would come and shepherd his people, 
And Jesus says, I am Yahweh. I am the good shepherd. It's, do you get it? It's not just a cute image. It is a bold declaration. You've been waiting for God to come and search for the lost sheep and seek them and bring them together and shepherd them. I'm here. I am the good shepherd. That's why he says good as well. It's, you know, you think about it, it would have been okay to just say, I'm a shepherd. Well, that's nice, Jesus. That's a nice picture of who you are and what you do. You're a shepherd. No, he had to say, I am the good shepherd because he had to emphatically set himself against the bad shepherds of religion, the bad shepherds who abandoned the people of God, the bad shepherds of Ezekiel 34. And the word good there is the word kalos in Greek, and it can be translated beautiful, beautiful. It's got nothing to do in this context with appearance. It is about character. This is the beautiful shepherd who beautifully represents who God is, who beautifully fulfills everything that a shepherd should do. So as we now just really focus in on Jesus for the last 10 minutes or so, I want you to, I want to see what does the good shepherd show us about God? What, what is it about Jesus that we need to learn through this passage? Remember, the whole point of this little series is to say, here's what Jesus says about himself. Here's who he is. Come and follow him. That's, that's what we're doing. So what, what does this tell us about God? A few things that I want to fire out. First of all, it tells us that God wants a close relationship with his people. Let's read verses 3, 4, and 5 of John chapter 10. The watchman opens the gate for him, for the shepherd, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. God wants a close relationship with his people. Note the language that, that Jesus uses here. We've got the picture of a watchman. We've got the sheep in a, in a sheep folder in a pen. And a shepherd comes along and calls out his own sheep. And we read in, in verse 3 and 4 about the sheep knowing his voice. Knowing his voice. And also in verse 14 it says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. This is the language of intimacy and relationship. It is not the language of distance but closeness. Note how the voice is mentioned in verse 3. The sheep listen to his voice. Verse 4, they follow him because they know his voice. I'm always amazed at when local sheep farmers go out into the field and the sheep all just come running towards them. If I go into the field to get a football that's gone over their fence, the sheep all run away. But the farmer comes in and the sheep all come running. And it's either, you know, sometimes he might shout and when he shouts, the sheep hear his voice and they come. Sometimes it's just the noise of the jeep 
uh, and they recognize that the farmer's coming because they recognize the noise. Even though there's cars on the road, they recognize the noise of his particular jeep. And sheep know the voice of a shepherd. They know the voice of a shepherd. There's a story told of, from the late 1980s of when there, there was a Palestinian uprising uh, and the Israeli army punished a village near Bethlehem for not paying their taxes. And what they did was they rounded up all the village animals and they put them in a huge pen. There might have been about a thousand animals in the pen. And a few days later, a widow approached the Israeli officer who was in charge of this pen and keeping these animals and keeping them away from the people that owned them. And she came and she said, listen, um, this is all I've got, my sheep, my livelihood. And if you take them away from me, I'm going to die and my family will have nothing. And he said to her, even if I agree to let you take your 25 sheep out of this pen of a thousand animals, how would you actually get them out? How are you going to know which ones they are and how are you going to get them out of the pen? And she said to him, if I could get them out, will you let me take them? And he said, yes. And she called her son and her son came and pulled out a little flute and started playing on the flute. And this is a factual account. One by one, these sheep started to make their way out of the pen and followed the wee boy as he, as he played his flute. They recognized the sound. Sheep know the voice of the shepherd. God wants his people to know his voice. He wants to speak to his people. He wants a close relationship. And in order to familiarize yourself with the voice of the shepherd and get to know his voice, we've got this as our prime way of knowing him, knowing his voice, knowing his character, knowing how he speaks, so that when we know this, we will recognize his voice and we will not be led by the voice of a stranger. Another word that suggests intimacy in verse 3, it says he calls his own sheep by name. He has a name for every sheep. He knows them all. The flock would not have been huge. The flock that a shepherd would have led might have been 50 or 60 if it was just one shepherd. Anything more than that would have been too much. But he knows them all by name. He's maybe got nicknames for all the sheep. And it speaks, of, again, of that intimacy, that knowledge, that relationship. Whenever you know someone on a first-name basis, you know, for four years I work with teenagers and they call me Sir or they call me Mr. Spence. But then after they leave and they meet me again in a different context in the future, it's David. Because the, the, those past days are gone and that relationship has ended and a new relationship has begun and, and they can call me by my first name. I hate titles in the church. I, I, I really don't like it when people put titles before their names because it then puts a separation between them and the people. Jesus knows the names of his sheep. In John 20, whenever Mary Magdalene on resurrection morning recognizes Jesus, she recognizes him whenever he says her name. <laughs> she stands and talks to him, thinks he's the gardener and says, where, where have you put him? Where's Jesus? And Jesus says, Mary. And when she hears his voice saying her name, she recognizes him. Intimacy. This intimacy indicates that the shepherd is among the sheep. Leadership in the modern world 
can be somebody barking orders from a distance that the sheep or the people in the factory or whatever never actually meet. But leadership in the context of a Middle Eastern shepherd and leadership in the context of the Bible, the shepherd is in among the sheep, right in there among them, with them, with an intimate acquaintance with them. Jesus is with us. So one of the things that the good shepherd tells us about God is that he is intimately in relationship with his people. Another thing is the fact that he leads us. In verse 3, the, he, he calls, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought, all out, uh, brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and the sheep follow him. Shepherds in the Middle East did not drive sheep. You don't go behind sheep and drive them from behind in Middle Eastern shepherding. You went in front of them and the sheep followed. They heard your voice. They heard the tune on the flute, whatever. But they went and followed. And Jesus' call to discipleship is not primarily a call, go and get things done. It's a call, come and follow me. Come to me, you that are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's what the call of discipleship is. The good shepherd says, come and follow me. The bad shepherds of religion, the leaders that don't really care for the people, drive the sheep. And then you get burnout. You get sheep that are exhausted. You know when you're getting caught up with religion and religious activities when you're utterly utterly exhausted from one activity and one event to another. Continual busyness. That is not Jesus. That's religion. Religion burns people out and drives them. Jesus calls and leads people into green pastures and still waters and rest and a laying down of the burdens that sheep are not meant to be carrying. Jesus, God wants a relationship with his people where he leads his people. He does not stand behind them cracking a whip. He goes out ahead of them and sings a beautiful song and calls the sheep to follow him. Another thing that the good shepherd teaches us about God is the fact that God is faithful and committed to the sheep. In verse 11, And then a couple of verses after it. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand or the hireling or the guy who's just looking after the sheep because he's being paid to do so. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. God is faithful and committed and loyal and he will not abandon the sheep. One of the songs that we sing and I miss singing is is the king of my heart. And that that part of it where we declare he's never, you're never going to let me down. 
God does not let you down. He does not abandon you. He does not desert you. But Jesus is comparing himself as the good shepherd <clears throat> to the bad shepherds. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> the bad shepherds of history and the bad shepherds of the current leadership of the Pharisees, the religious leadership who are not taking care of the flock. Jesus is comparing himself to them and he's saying, those guys will run and those guys will abandon you at the first sniff of danger. They are not good shepherds. I hate abandonment and I hate desertion. I think one of the most devastating things that human beings can go through is whenever they are abandoned by others. I know so many people whose lives are filled with pain because someone told them, I will be with you and I will support you and I will strengthen you and I'll be by your side. And then that person abandoned them. It's almost, I come close to labeling it as a spirit, a demonic spirit of abandonment and desertion. Some people have been abandoned by a spouse who made a promise to be there forever and then abandoned. Some children have been abandoned by a parent. Some have been abandoned by friends. Some have been abandoned by leaders who should have looked after them but abandoned them. Abandonment and desertion causes carnage in people's lives when someone they thought they could lean on, they thought would be there, abandons them. Jesus hates that. So you listen to me and listen well, just in case there's somebody out there and you're considering abandoning. Jesus hates that. He hates the hired hand, the hireling, who at the first sniff of challenge, at the first sniff of difficulty or danger, or a bump in the road, is gone and leaves the sheep to the mercy of the wolf. Jesus hates abandonment and he hates desertion. It wrecks people's lives. He will not do that. The good shepherd will never leave you and will never forsake you. Jesus will let people walk away. He will let the rich young ruler walk away because he's got issues in his heart and Jesus will challenge him and allow him to walk away and sort those issues out. Jesus will allow Judas to walk out into the night and betray him. But when it comes to a sheep that's been separated for some reason from the flock, has strayed from the flock and is now vulnerable, isolated, Alone, Jesus will leave the 99 and he will go after it and he will bring it back to the flock. That's what shepherd leadership does. It reaches out and it grabs. And until someone says, I want to go and I don't want to be part of this, the the shepherd will reach out and grab and pull back and say, come on, back to the flock, to safety and to provision. Jesus does not say 99 out of a hundred isn't bad. I'll just bed down for the night and be happy enough. He'll go out and walk the hills in the dark until he finds the one. That's the good shepherd. That's who he is. 
He is the fulfillment of the promise of Ezekiel 34, a God who will come and shepherd his people. And finally, the good shepherd in verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Whenever the wolf comes, the hireling who does not really care for the sheep runs. Whenever the wolf comes, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's Jesus. There was an explorer called Sir George Adam Smith who was traveling in Palestine. And he came across a shepherd who was intrigued to watch a shepherd at his work. Small flock. And he, he, he went with this shepherd who took the flock to a cave where he would put them at night. And the cave obviously was protected on both sides and the back and even over the overhead, this, this cave. And Sir George said to the shepherd, but there's no door. How do you close them in? How do you prevent the wolf from getting in? How do you prevent the sheep from coming out during the night? And the shepherd, who wasn't a Christian, said to him these very words, I am the door. I lie in the open space. No sheep goes out but across my body, and no wolf gets in but across my body. He lays his own body down. When Jesus, in verse 7, says, I am the door for the sheep, that's what he's saying. When the sheep go into the pen, and there's no gate, and there's no door to swing closed, he says, I'm the door. Every shepherd listening to him knew what he was talking about. You lie down at night, nothing gets in and nothing gets out except going across your body. You become physically the door of the sheep. You place yourself in between the sheep and the wolf. No fear of danger. Jesus does this. He does it beautifully in John chapter 8, where a woman has been caught in adultery and she's brought to Jesus with a bunch of Pharisees bring her, and the Pharisees have got rocks in their hands to kill her. And Jesus stands between the sheep and the wolves. And I can picture him just protecting the woman and saying, no, throw the rocks at me. At the end of John 8, they do want to throw the rocks at him. Start of the chapter, they want to stone the woman. At the end of the chapter, they want to stone Jesus because he has stood in between her and them, protected her from the wolves. Of religion. That's what the good shepherd does. He lays down his life for the sheep. His, his concern is so great for them that he's willing to die for them. Not just lay his body down at night in the opening of the pen and sleep for six or seven hours and then get up again, laying his body down and then getting up again. He says, I will lay down my life for the sheep. I will lay down my life. That's how you know the good shepherd as opposed to the false shepherd, the bad shepherd, the hireling who runs when the wolf comes. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is, was not a victim. Jesus was not a martyr. He, was not a, he did not meet some tragic end. It was not all a horrible accident. He was an obedient participant in the plan of God. And in verse 17, he says... My father loves me 
The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Look at verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Satan, put that in your pipe and smoke it. I have authority to lay my life down. And when I'm good and ready, I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So Jesus is saying, just as the shepherd lays down his body and gets up again, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I have the authority to lay down my life for the sheep and I will take it up again. And at this point, the comparisons of, of Jesus with the Palestinian shepherds comes to an end. Because in the Middle East, whenever a shepherd died because he laid down his life to protect the sheep from wolves, if that happened, that was the worst thing that could happen to the sheep. Because they now had no shepherd and they were now vulnerable because the shepherd had laid down his life. But contrast that with Jesus, who laid down his life and took it up again, and in the process of doing so, says in John 10 and verse 10, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He lays down his life and he takes it up again. And after that, the sheep receive abundant life. He is not the thief who kills. He's not like the Pharisees who want to kill the woman in John 8 and throw out the man in John 9. He is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. So, who do I say that I am? Who does Jesus say that he is? At the feast of dedication at Hanukkah, when they remembered the great deliverance of Judas Maccabees delivering the people from the bad shepherds and from Antiochus Epiphanes. And they look forward to a time when God would once again come and shepherd his people and deliver them from bad shepherds. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. You're waiting for God to give you bread from heaven I am the bread from heaven. You're waiting for God to be light to you and to lead you. I am the light of the world. You're waiting for God to come and shepherd you, to search out the lost sheep and to bring them together again to the flock and to nourish them and feed them. I am the good shepherd. Jesus has come to show us what God is like. And I think you could safely, there are lots of reasons you can give for Jesus coming. There are, you know, he came, according to one of John's there, he came to destroy the works of the devil. He came for, there are lots of different reasons given. And we would not rank them. He came to die for us. He came to seek and save the lost. But one that I say we don't often hold as high enough in terms of why Jesus came, the importance of him coming. He came to show us what God is like. That we wouldn't guess, that we wouldn't project onto God what we think we'd like him to be like, but that we'd look to the Gospels and that we'd look to Jesus and we'd say, that's what God's like. A woman is about to be murdered because of a mistake that she's made and God stands up in front of her 
takes a huge risk that a bloodthirsty crowd of religious freaks would stone her and then stone him as well. But he stands up in front of her and defends her. That's what God's like. He's not a shepherd who's going to abandon the flock. He will never leave us. God is a shepherd and a warrior. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10, we've got the the language of a warrior. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. His arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. And now look at how the language shifts. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. Look at the intimacy. And gently leads those that have young. This powerful, mighty, warrior, king, God, who tends his flock like a shepherd. Who is your shepherd? All the way through this, obviously Psalm 23 is just screaming in the background. Who is your shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. Who will lead you to still waters and in green pastures and cause you to lie down? Who will prepare a table in the wilderness in the presence of your enemies for you to feast safely despite all of the harm that is threatening around you? Whose rod and staff will comfort you? Who will cause goodness and mercy to follow you? Who will be with you in the valley of the shadow of death? I'm glad I know the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And I want you to hear the invitation to come and to follow him. Let's pray.